Hey friends, this is Andy. Chorus.ai is the platform for the vice president of sales. Chorus believes that customer conversations are a company's most powerful but most underutilized and overlooked asset. With every sales call and meeting seamlessly recorded, transcribed, and analyzed in real time, Chorus.ai provides an unparalleled view into your sales and customer success teams. Highlight coachable moments. Uncover insights about your competitors. Proactively identify at-risk deals. And so much more with Chorus.ai's elegant and easy-to-use solution for today's data-driven sales leaders. And even better, reps can get started for free today and start seeing real results within the first five minutes simply by going to hello.chorus.ai forward slash signup. That's hello.chorus.ai forward slash signup. Remember, Chorus.ai, today's platform for the VP of sales. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves. You need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends. This is Andy. Welcome to episode 614 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me today on the show is my guest, Jim Ninovaji. Jim is the Vice President of Sales Readiness at Brainshark. Now, this is a very unique title in corporations these days, Vice President of Sales Readiness. However, I predict that we're going to see more companies adopting the mantle of sales readiness all across customer-facing positions. So, in today's conversation, we're going to talk about what sales readiness means and how it can play a central role in the sales and service culture that you create at your company. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 614. Now, before I talk with Jim, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who are continually updating the contact data and providing account-specific insights to help your sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. So see the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash, excuse me, schedule hyphen demo. That's discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. And today's show is also brought to you by our friends at Chorus.ai. Chorus.ai makes your customer conversations work for you. Now, vice presidents of sales, sales enablement managers, and AEs alike all benefit from the power and ease of Chorus. AI's platform. Chorus can lead to dramatic increases in your close rates within the first few months of usage. It can also cut onboarding time for ramp and ramp up time for new reps by nearly in half. So it is the platform to help make the power of AI available for every sales team. Get started today. Go to chorus.ai for more information. All right, let's jump into it with Jim Ninavaji. Jim, welcome to Accelerate. Andy, it's great to be here and thanks for having me on Accelerate. Oh, my pleasure. So uh, I've got a standard question I ask my, all my guests these days to open up the, the conversation, and that is, in your opinion, what's, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? I 
think the biggest challenge today is I think a lot of reps have come up without having the benefit of learning the core basic fundamental skills. Um, when I look at the generation of salespeople that came up through the ranks after me, I came up in the age of the Xeroxes and the IBMs and the Pitney Bowes and the Burroughs, you know, companies that were basically the sales academies of their age. Yeah, I, I'm, where, a, I'm a Burroughs alumni. There you go. So, so you, you know, we were, I don't I, know about you, I, we were onboarded for months before yes. we were allowed to, you know, call on a client. And oh, we were. Well, no, 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 we didn't, we didn't have that. I, I was on board for about 20 minutes before I was sent out to haul a customer, but, but I had, what, 10 weeks of training my first year. I yeah. Mean, 10 weeks offsite at a training center, so on. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but but you think about the training that we received yeah. back then, right? The the weeks of training, the core skills, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and those you know those kind of sales program sales training programs have gone to the wayside, and so you've got now a generation of salespeople who are expected to kind of have the basics, but don't, and so they're out there trying to execute, trying to figure it out on their own, you know. And sometimes their companies will give them that you know two-day training on the latest and greatest methodology. But uh, what they never get is the benefit of really learning the craft of selling so that they can be more successful. I would say when I look at the sales organizations that I've worked with, that's probably their biggest challenge. Yeah, and I, I was sort of struck by this. I, I, and I agree. I think this is, to me, is, is one of the big issues. And I just went to an event this week in New York City, uh, as a gathering of sales development rep managers, SDR managers. And, um, you know, I was sitting at a table where there's, we were sort of doing this group problem-solving exercises and listening to, you know, at each table half a dozen or so, you know, smart young managers, sales managers talking about, you know, challenges for their team. And it was always about the process and about the tools and about the, the metrics. And it wasn't about the selling, Right, and it almost right. never, no one ever touched on the selling, and I find that sort of interesting. That that what we have in many companies now, we have sales cultures, but we don't have selling cultures. Do you understand what I mean? The difference. I mean, we have I, I, we have we have a process, but people don't understand how to sell, how to connect with another human being, and how to engage them and build that relationship. That's that's a part that we're really missing. Absolutely, and I, and I think part of it is. Process is easier to implement. It's comfortable, right? And it, um, you know, I implement a process, and I tell my salespeople, you have to follow this process. You know, we go to step from what step one to step two, step two to step three, um, and we're going to track it, you know, in our CRM. And I think there's some, you know, comfort in that we have control, right, over mm-hmm. that process. Mm-hmm. When you start looking at skills, it gets messy. Right. It's not <laughs> it's not easy to address skills or even I think in many cases to truly understand what the skills are that are required to be successful. Um, so I, I think that's you know a, a big reason why companies focus on process over skills. It's just it's just easier to do well, yeah, to focus on process. Well, I, I think you're right. And I the other sort of twist I'd put that on put on that though is, is I think it's less about skills and more about habits. Right is is I can't develop a skill unless the behavior that underlies the habit the the skill is a habit, right? Because I'm not I'm not going to get the repetition from it. 
And so, Absolutely. so I look, I look, at, I look at things basically like just you know demonstrating empathy for a customer. You know, there's there's a way to develop that habit, right? Because I, I sort of divide the world into good habits and bad habits, and if it's if it's not a good habit, it's it's a bad habit. You know, to change this talk first impulse that salespeople have into a let's ask questions first impulse, let's inquire about them, let's learn about them, let's like I said demonstrate some empathy. Yeah, I think there's, like I said, just a small handful of these habits that if you practice consistently, you become really adept at, and there's no focus on those at all. No, and, and this gets back to my earlier point, right? Because I would call those kind of the fundamental habits and yes. fundamental skills, right? Yeah, and core habits, yes. I benefited, I actually you know, started my selling career at Xerox Learning Systems, which was yeah. the sales training division of Xerox. So we were taught from the beginning, you know, we had to practice what we were preaching, and so, you know, you talk about developing a great habit, opening a sales call, right? I was taught you open a sales call the same way. You state the agenda, you state the value to the buyer, and you confirm for their agreement, right? And mm-hmm. I, over time, right, that just, that became just part of the way I sold. And when I left Xerox, I still started every sales call that way. And when I work with our salespeople, I'm working with them to start that sales call the same way. And it's a small habit. You know, you would think, well, you just kind of, and you, you've you probably been on sales calls where, you know, the, the everybody just kind of jumps in. But just taking that time to state the agenda, state the value, confirm for agreement, it sets everybody on the right path. And it lets that buyer know, hey, I'm here. I'm a business person. You're a business person. And I want to make really good use of your time. And I want to make sure we're aligned in regards to where I think we're going to go on this call. Right. Well, I think that, that, and I I even go a step earlier than that, which is, yeah, and this is, this is something that's probably controversial. I know it is in some segments is, you know, there's been this big push to sort of say, get away with, do away with small talk. People are too busy. They don't have it. Time for that. But there's also, by the same time, in research that's come out in the last year, even that said, uh, no, small talk is absolutely an essential part of building a relationship with someone. I mean, you don't want to do it forever, right? You have to know how to handle the, the situation. But it's part of that human connection that we need to make with another person. And, you know, I see again today, is it's, you know, people are trained. Oh, we don't have time for that. So it's like, even though we have these tools to find out about a prospect, you know, we can use LinkedIn and see what they're interested in, or Facebook and, you know, social stalk them a little bit before we, as part of our preparation, as you talked about. You know, as much as the tools are available, I don't see that being done enough. It's not. I, and again, it goes, and, and, and you're right. I think there has been, a, there, there, there have been a lot of new methodologies that have come out who basically said, there's no time for small talk and, you need to tell the buyer what the problems are. Right? You need to be <laughs> provocative. And, you know, I just, you know, think, hey, you know, we as human beings haven't evolved that much <laughs> in the last 30 years, you know, when well, I started my sales career. Not people, at all, as a matter of fact, right? Yeah, people still like to, people want to have that personal connection. After all, you know, I, I need to know if I'm the buyer, do I, do I like you? Do I trust you? Yeah. You know, wh- who am I dealing with here? Um, and people like to be heard. You know, I still, you know, no, <laughs> nobody likes to, you know, my kids tell me, all, used to tell me all the time, you know, they, uh, stop, you know, stop yelling at me, dad. Stop, <laughs> stop talking to me, dad. They want to be heard. They want to be listened to. And, um, wow. Do we have the same kids? <laughs> 
That's why my kids left for San Diego. They were tired of me. Uh, tired yeah, of, go to San Diego and Andy will yell at you. Yeah. There, there you go. But, well, uh, well, I think one of the it, issues that we have, and, and I'm saying this collectively, the we as a, a sales profession, is that you know we we think and we basically have our our sellers believe and this is also came out in this this function I was at the other night our sellers believe that they're selling to personas not to persons or people yeah and that's a huge difference you're selling to a person not a persona that's and, right and there's a huge huge difference because that person is an individual yes within that category but when we sell to personas what happens is we stop listening because we assume when we ask a question that's first question in our script, we assume that if they give us a certain answer, we know what that means. And so we don't ask the follow-on question because in our that's how persona answers that question. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it's assuming that every persona is the same. It's funny. I actually wrote a blog post a couple of years ago that was entitled Personas are People Too. <laughs> and uh you know, and the the gist of the of the blog post was all about that. That you know, yes, while it's helpful for marketing, and there's been a big push in B two B to create these personas. And this yes. is what the, it's important to the CIO. This is what's important to the head of security. And those are good guidelines, and 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 certainly should guide a salesperson in terms of the the questions that they're asking. But as I pointed out in my blog post. You know, when you walk in on that call, if, you know, maybe that CIO just got chewed out by the CEO <laughs> and the next person that walks in that door is really going to get it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, or, you know, you might be dealing with a CIO who is super detail oriented and wants to know all the facts. Or you might be dealing with a CIO who's, you know, more big picture. Right. And you've got to, you know, um, adapt to that buyer's style and, and, and connect with them at a human level. So, yeah, I think, um, there's been, you know, I, again, borrowing from B2C, you're starting to see B2B companies creating all these personas and we have to be, you know, really careful when we're, you know, providing some discussion templates to our salespeople that they're just that they're just templates and that, you know, what we're paying you for and the art of selling is your ability to make that, you know, that personal connection and drive home the personal value to that particular person that you're sitting across from. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I used to use the analogy that, that, you know, customers are like snowflakes, no two are alike, but now that the snowflake has, uh, you know, an urban, an urban slang myth or definition that no one really thinks is great. I can't use that, that anymore. Don't but, use that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, they, they are individuals. All right. So let me ask a second about what you're doing for brain sharks is as you talk about your LinkedIn profile, you've got this unique title is mm -hmm. your chief readiness officer. So, um, yeah, what the heck is that? <laughs> That's what my mom asked me. Yeah. <laughs> is like, that, is that I'm a real so, job? Jim, are you I'm still so employed? <laughs> exactly. Did you just make that up? Uh, I'm so proud of you. What is a readiness officer? Um, so we, so, so for the folks who don't know, BrainShark is a software platform, uh, sales readiness software platform that uh, companies like uh, GE and uh, Fidelity and others are using to create content, learning content, uh, and then getting that content into the hands of their salespeople through mobile devices and their 
um, and and their laptops. And then we have a video assessment tool to make sure that the salesperson is really ready, right? That they can actually articulate the messages we need them to articulate. And so, um, you know, with that concept of readiness, we thought it would be really cool to have a chief readiness officer, um, partly as a platform to promote the idea of readiness and partly because um, what I do at BrainShark is I'm responsible for making sure that our salespeople are ready for every customer interaction that they have. So, I, you know, whether they're interacting via email, whether they're interacting via the phone or web conferencing or face-to-face, you know, our goal is to make sure that when that sales, when our salesperson is over, is done with that interaction and the customer leaves that interaction, they leave that interaction with a feeling that it was time well spent, that they got value out of that interaction. Uh, Yes, we want them to buy from us, uh, but we also want them to walk away saying, you know what, that was a well-run sales call, a well-crafted email, Uh, that's it, you know, I got what I needed out of that phone call. So we decided that, uh, well, we would create the first, I'm pretty sure I'm the first <laughs> and only chief readiness officer <laughs> out there in the world. So that was the, the, the reasoning behind uh, the title. Well, I mean, let's hope it's uh, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I think that, that and use, I think your charter actually includes all customer facing it does. employees. Yeah. So not, not just sales and which is right. hugely, hugely important. And I mean, I remember, a from earlier in my career, I was running this group for this one company, a, a division, and our biggest customer was coming to visit. And you know, it was probably 15, 20% of our revenue of this division. And, and uh, you know, sort of a no-nonsense type guy. And so we get a word. Our <laughs> The lobby was downstairs. Our offices were, were upstairs. Um and we get a word that he's down in the lobby. So myself and the CEO of the company go down and meet him. We walk upstairs. And I, George, how you doing? And the first thing he says is, is where's, oh gosh, I forget the woman's name, but I'll just call her Deborah. You know, where's Deborah? We're like, Deborah? Yeah, he says, where's Deborah? I want to talk to Deborah. What do you mean, Deborah on customer service? Yeah, that one. <laughs> and so I said, oh, okay, well, follow us. And so we took him down the hallways, through the cubicle zone, got to, Deborah's office, and he turns to get to Deborah's office, and he introduces himself, and he turns to our CEO, and he goes, "She's the reason we buy from you." Wow, that's an amazing story, <laughs> right? She's the reason we buy from you. You know, not the salespeople. She, and so you think about it, you have all these touch points with mm-hmm. your, with your customers. Is it one of the reasons I really like this idea of what you guys are doing? Is is you have to bring your A game. Every time with every person that talks to a client or a customer. It's, and it's it's because you never know which one's gonna be a point of influence. That's right. And it's every, you know, uh, so you think about, you know, branding, right? And and the money that companies spend to uh, to brand themselves and to, you know, uh, advertise and to promote their brand. And yet that brand comes to life really when a buyer or and that could be anybody in the buyer organization connects real time with one of your employees so it could be deborah in customer service mm-hmm. or it could be jim in sales or it could be a, a customer success manager 
And it's just shocking how companies will, you know, will outsource that. You know, they they'll you know they'll let another company actually represent and personify their brand for them with their with their customers, which I just find mind blowing. And like you said, every interaction, whether it's a sales interaction or a support interaction or a service interaction, every interaction with that customer has either the opportunity to establish a relationship, deepen the relationship, weaken the relationship, or destroy the relationship. Uh, and sometimes you destroy the relationship even before it started. And that's why, you know, while it may sound cliche-ish, I think that, you know, readiness is really got to, it's got to be at the heart of everything that you do as an organization as it relates to establishing and, and deepening those customer relationships. Well, and again, I, back to what I was making before is I think that, that to me, part of resonance is that people understand the urgency of every interaction, meaning the urgency to make it you know, as impactful or to, as you guys talk about maximizing every client, maximizing the value of, of every interaction. Uh, to me, that, that is, has to be part of the culture that people are really sensitized to. Because yeah. too often, you know, I can debrief a sales rep after a phone call. And I could ask that question, you know, okay, what impact did that have? And they'll have no idea. Yeah. And if they don't, I said, well, then you have to assume it had a negative impact. That's right. Right? right? If, yeah. you don't, if there's not an overtly positive, if you didn't do what you needed to do and find out and basically survey the customer and say, you know, hey, was this, did you accomplish what you wanted to accomplish during this call? Then you have to assume it, it was a negative impact. And, yeah. and people take these things so casually as, is I think one of the hallmarks of our time is that, that yeah, hey, our customers are busy. We don't have that many interactions with them, right? If, if we invest the time and effort to actually get in front of somebody, whether it's you know, virtually over a phone or video or actually in person in a, in a field call, you got to be ready. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, the, the buyer, and, and, and I always like to say the buyer defines readiness. Um, we don't define it. The buyer does. Uh, and I'll share an example, a, a restaurant example, because I think, you know, restaurants are, are a good analogy to readiness. And, you know, talking about, uh, you know, from a culture perspective, you know, we've all been to restaurants where the wait staff, you know, everybody owns every table. Right. So, you know, you, you, there aren't stations. It's, you know, if somebody needs something, I'm there and, I'm, and, and you know, the waitress, waitresses and waiters are proactive in doing that. And then you right. go to other restaurants, right, where it's, well, let me get your waiter for you. Um, the other, you know, and I was at a, uh, a, a, a nice restaurant, I'll say a, a higher end restaurant, you know, farm to table, which is the big thing that these oh, sure, days, sure. uh, and it'd be a place that had amazing craft beers and a great wine cellar. And, um, so I asked the waiter, so, t- you know, tell me a little bit about this beer versus this beer. Oh, I, I don't know. Well, you know, what beer would go well with this food that I'm having? Well, I don't know. I, I, I gotta be honest with you. I just started and I'm sitting there thinking, that's not my problem, <laughs> you know, so find me somebody who is knowledgeable because, you know, the reason that I, you know, you pay the money for a, you know, a restaurant like that is you expect, I expect a waiter who comes ready with knowledge, right. To, yeah. to teach me something I don't know. Now, if I'm going to not to diss TGI Fridays, but if I'm going to TGI Fridays, I'm probably not going to ask <laughs> but, the bartender. My expectation is less. You but know? I, I, I bet you that they've got a better training program at TGI Fridays than they do at that restaurant you went to. I bet they do. 
I bet they do. I mean, chances are you probably would have heard a better answer. You know, and that's, that's, yeah. This again, this is this idea of, you know, a selling culture, as I mentioned, I referred to before, a selling culture is really a service culture, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we have a sales culture. That means, yeah, we've got a process, we follow a process, but it's really about us more than the customer. Yeah, I mean, we, we want to serve the, you know, do a good job by the customer. But to me, a selling culture is really a service culture, right? How are we helping? How are we able to connect with somebody so we can put ourselves in a position of helping them? And yeah, to your example at that restaurant, they had just no service culture. No. And putting out that, you know, I felt bad for the waiter uh, because he was just thrown out there. Um, but on the other hand, I thought, well, you know, I, that's not my problem. And, <laughs> you know, you think, uh, you know, when we think about readiness and that idea of onboarding, we were talking about onboarding earlier. You know, when I was an analyst at Serious Decisions, we did a study and we found that 34% of companies have no onboarding program. So it's like this waiter, right? We're just going to throw you, or you at Burroughs, we're going to just throw you out. <laughs> and, you know, that's not, it's not fair to the customer, certainly, uh, not certainly fair to the salesperson. And, you know, as I point out, you know, when you send out a salesperson who's not ready and they blow that interaction with that buyer, not only does it hurt your brand, but you, there's a cost to it because now, you know, th- that could have turned into revenue and now it won't turn into revenue. And it may not turn into revenue for quite a while since, you know, companies are now making purchasing decisions that, you know, are, you know, are going out 12 to 24 months. Yeah. So it's, there's a real cost and, and it's a hidden cost, uh, but there's a real cost for having salespeople that are not ready and have and any customer facing person that's not ready. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I that I see that's sort of missing in, in some of the onboarding programs is you know realistic engagement training with customers and prospects, you know, sort of the, the interactive coaching, teaching people how customers make decisions. I mean it, it's it's again it's a more about at least the ones that I see oftentimes, and again, not 100% rule, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's about our process, right? We want to make sure you really mm-hmm. understand our process. And, you know, here's the resources we have, you know, enablement resources available to you. But it's like, if I asked to ask, you know, a new person, well, tell me, how does a customer make a decision? Yeah. You know, do you understand that at all? You know, how do people evaluate, gather, evaluate information, make decisions? What are their priorities when they're trying to do that? You know, that's a big gap in a lot of our education of our, of our sales teams, is really understanding the mindset of the buyer, not from a persona standpoint, from just a <laughs> just a human being. And how does a human being gather information, process it? How do they prioritize? You know, because Herbert Simon, you know, won a Nobel Prize in economics. He, you know, defined the maximizer satisficers model of decision makers. People haven't evolved past that. No, people still fall in one of those two categories. You know, unless unless you know people have hired me to train their team or to help you know give a presentation to team on decision making, chances are they're they're not getting this education. No, they're not. I and you know it goes back to that idea of thinking, hey, if we've got a process, we're in control. So, and it's you know you're kidding yourself, but that that's the feeling, right? That we're going to drive the sales process as opposed to aligning to the buying process and. You know, one of the things I used to say to clients is because, you know, companies always talk about accelerating the velocity, right? Yes, yes. Right. Our sales cycle is too long. Pipeline velocity, yes. Yeah. And I'm like, well, and I remember sitting with a VP a few years back and he said, Jim, my biggest problem is, you know, our sales cycle used to be nine months long and now it's uh, now it's a year. 
And, uh, and, and so I need some, I think I need negotiations training so that my refs can, so we can shorten the sales cycle. And this Boy. light bulb, light bulb went off of my head. And I Boy. said, well, why don't you just tell your salespeople to make the sales cycle nine months? I you know what better yet, tell them to make the sales cycle six, actually tell them to make the sales cycle three months long. And he said, I can't do that. And I said, well, why can't you do that? And he said, well, cause our buyers, you know, they take, I said, bingo. I said, you're asking the wrong question. It's not why has the sales cycle gotten longer? Because I'm pretty sure your salespeople don't have an incentive <laughs> to have the sales cycle start going out three months. I said, you got to figure out why is it taking your buyer 12 months to make a decision that used to take nine months? What's going on with your buyers? And I mean, that's a, a, um, a simple example, but I think it's a, it's a great example. I mean, it's, we, we kid ourselves when we think we can, you know, there are only certain things we can do to accelerate the, the, you know, the, the sales process. It's really looking and going, how can I accelerate time to decision? Um, and what can I be doing as a, as a salesperson to help my buyer make, make a decision? And, and, and also, you know, how, how do I help them make a decision to not use us faster <laughs> so that neither of us are wasting our time? Yeah, uh, it's a different it's a different mindset, but I think um, for those organizations that have that mindset, they just you know they do a much better job in forecasting. Uh, they're much better at being able to you know even simple things like you know quota attainment, pipeline management. Um, it's just that that switch of looking outside in versus inside out. Yeah, and this gets back to a point I made a little bit earlier about understanding the customers is is. Yeah, I, I sort of have this contention that that there's really, I don't know, I was at a conference to sort of back up. At a conference, uh, won't name who was putting it on, sort of the one of the organizers gets up and gives this talk about, yeah, it seems so unbalanced these days. We've got uh, social media where and other review sites and so on where buyers can go and complain about sellers, but you know, there's no place where sellers can go and complain about slow buyers. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, they're really, for them, by and large, there aren't slow buyers. They're just slow sellers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I, I firmly believe that, right? I, you know, customers don't set out to spend an endless amount of time to make a decision on something because it costs them time, money. They're diverting resources from other projects that, uh, you know, have greater ROI than making a purchase decision on something. And so they have an incentive, an imperative, really, in their business. In fact, many companies now consider a competitive advantage to be able to gather information about a purchase, especially a strategic purchase, mm-hmm. make the decision more quickly and get the solution implemented than they do in stretching out the decision. I, I totally agree. And again, it, it, when you start to look at your sales approach from that perspective, and if you can understand what is the buyer doing at you know this phase in their buying process, maybe they're you know they're considering alternatives. You know what are they doing? Who's involved um, typically? Um, and what criteria do they need to move forward to the next phase of their decision? And then what is it can, that we can provide? How can we simplify that decision making process for mm-hmm. that buyer? Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of the times we're just salespeople. We're just caught up in our own, you know, process of I have to go first call, then a second call, then a demo, and then a proposal, and we're not really thinking about, you know, what really does this buyer, what do they need in order to move forward to the next phase in that decision, including, you know, um, a legal review, 
right? Sure. So I was working with a client where, you know, you know, they were their deals were getting stalled late in the pipeline because everything went to legal review and you know it, it went late and then so you know uh, that that it would extend out you know probably a couple of months in the in, in the case of this particular offering. And so I said to the client, well, why don't you just start that process earlier, knowing that it's coming? Why don't you welcome the legal review and get that done, you know, for at a certain point in the sales process where it's well qualified? So I don't want to do that. So well, why don't you want to do that? He said, because, uh, you know, that's going to, you know, that might muck up the sales cycle. And I said, <laughs> okay, well, let's take a look at your last 30 deals. We looked at the last 30 deals and how many went to legal review? 30 out of 30. So, uh, and that, that was it. So, uh, I said, you know, you can put your, you know, you can put your head in the sand and pretend it's not coming or you can welcome it, get it in earlier. And then you, you can help accelerate that time to decision so that, uh, you're helping that buyer, not, you know, hindering that buyer. Again, a simple example, but it's it, just take, taking example. that outside and take that outside in approach is, is everything. Well, yeah, another example of this that, that I've written about in the past is is we have these long traditions that somehow get passed through the ether that <laughs> that if you give a buyer something, you got to give them three days to absorb it, right? As we've got these sort of fixed intervals that, like all you know, the indecent intervals where we think, okay, I'm going to give a buyer a piece of content. It's going to take a couple of days to absorb that, so I'll call them back in three days. And then you start adding that up throughout your entire sales process. And you're saying, well, gosh, I probably just added an extra month or two onto the whole thing. People don't need that much time to absorb things. You ask them, right? Yes. You ask them. You just don't assume. And I, I see this all the time. And it's, it's not based on any sort of experience. It's just, like I said, it's these weird traditions that have been passed down. Uh, you know, so oral traditions, I guess. And yeah. That'd be one thing we could all do to sort of break free from and sort of free up some time, increase, as you said, quote unquote, increase velocity. Yeah. Is is yeah, set expectations with the customers. Ask them when you give them something. Uh, you know, instead of saying, I oh, God, they need a week or two months to do legal review, yeah, give it to them earlier. Absolutely. And you may and, actually uh, you may actually find that it happens faster at that point because as you Together, the legal review with the sales buying process start ending at the same point. Exactly. The internal people are pushing legal, get this thing done. Exactly. That's exactly what happened uh, with this particular client. We were able to increase uh, time, to, to, uh, time to decision, I'll call it, by 40%. Because that's another pet peeve. And, and something that I, when I was running a sales uh, team, you know, it, it, when I was a salesperson, my manager was always asking me, when are you going to close this? When are you going to close this? When are you going to close this? Right? Like I had a magic closing <laughs> wand. Yeah, like, I know. I'll close it Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, and yes, I'm, and don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, there are things that salespeople can do to help, you know, a, a decision. But when I was running a sales team, I changed that question and I asked, the, I started asking my salespeople, when is the buyer going to make a decision? Why do they need to make a decision on September 30th? I know why you need them to make a decision on September 30th because it's quarter end. But what's going to happen? What are the implications for the buyer if they don't make a decision on September 30th? What do they need to do between now and September 30th right. to make the decision? Right. right. And just by changing that question and changing the wording, I was able to get much better. My reps became less defensive, like, you know, 
you know, why aren't you closing this? Right. Like, yeah. it's a, you know, you should just grab the customer by the throat and <laughs> get them to sign the contract to a more thoughtful conversation around really, where are you? And, you know, we're, we're, you know, a week away from September 30th and it still hasn't gone through, you know, legal review. Is it really realistic knowing that it usually takes 15 days for that to happen? Are we really going to get this done by September 30th? Um, and so we could, you know, while it wasn't always good news, it was realistic news. Yes. And uh, just change the, it really, I, th- it, I think it really helped change the mindset of the sales team as well uh, in, in terms of how they approach their deals. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and very similar philosophy. I mean, I, I did work for a couple of people throughout my career who, whose perhaps expectations about when things were going to close was somewhat inflexible. But uh, yes. So, you know, I remember several unpleasant instances like calling a customer at home at 8 a.m. Christmas, 8 p.m. Christmas Eve. Um, customer is not extremely happy to get my phone call, surprisingly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm here to wish you a Merry Christmas and... Where's my freaking order? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you had promised it before you left the office. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jim, unfortunately, we're out of time. And I think we set a record for actually using fewer of the questions I prepared than any other interview I've ever had. So, uh, good stuff. I hope that's a good thing. It is a good, th- it is a good thing. Yeah, we, we uh, got off on a path, and that was great. So, um, yeah, tell people how they can find out more about BrainShark and connect with you. Sure. So, you can uh, find us on the web at www.brainshark.com. And you can connect with me on uh, LinkedIn. It's uh, just Jim Ninavaji. And also on Twitter at Jane Ninavaji. Okay, perfect. Um, Jim, yeah, thanks again. This was great. Friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Remember, come back, join me for the next great episode of Accelerate with another great guest like we had today with Jim. Until then, if you get a chance, really appreciate it. Go to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Subscribe, leave us a review. We want to hear what we can do to serve you better. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.